0: You have been listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning. Good morning. If you would join me in prayer before we uh, get into the message. Father, we uh, we recognize that There's a real enemy, a real enemy that wants to whisper lies into our ears, that wants to mislead us and distract us from following you. So, Father, we pray today as we look into your Word that you would uh, help us and empower us to understand that, uh, that our faith that we have in you and your Son is not a private issue, a private matter at all. Prove that to us today so we will be more public about our faith in you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've been doing a series this month that we're going to wrap up today. That's entitled Five Lies of the Devil. We could have called it Ten Million Lies of the Devil. And uh, probably have stayed on that topic until Jesus comes. And uh, we may revisit this in a year or so. and. Uh, focus on some other topics, but what we tried to do was choose out five lies of the devil that we think are really prevalent in our society, in our culture, and look into God's Word and, and disprove those lies, not based upon our opinion, your opinion, but based upon what God says in His Word. You see, the thing that makes the lies of the devil very difficult is that the Bible says that he appears like an angel of light. If uh, Satan were to come up and attack your life and my life, in the Hollywood version, like some type of breathing monster, then we would have enough sense to run the other way. But, But instead, he comes with things that sound as though they are good and even right, and the truth of the matter is, they're not. Our first lie that we dealt with was this. And you may have said it to someone or someone has said it to you. Now, 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 you're trying to comfort someone in a tough time. Now, 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 you need to remember the Bible says God will never put on you more than you can handle. Now that sounds sweet. Problem is it's a lie. It's untrue. Because all through the Bible you can find God putting on more than people can handle. Because God doesn't want people being self-sufficient and feeling like I can deal with it. God wants me to trust in Him. And He wants you to trust in Him. So that's why it's a lie to think God will never put on you more than you can handle. We focused on this lie. God cannot use you. And that's a big one that Satan wants you to believe because he wants us to be so guilty about our past, so beat down by life, that we just feel like, we can't do anything for God because He's so holy. But if you'll read your Bible once again, you'll find time after time that God takes broken, messed up lives and He puts them back together and He uses those lives for His glory. Matter of fact, that's what gets people's attention. You see, if you're kind of remotely gifted and God uses you, then the world kind of looks at you and think, well, sure, you know, look, look who it is. Look at their abilities. But if you're messed up and you admit you're messed up and God fixes your life and God uses you, that leaves a world scratch in its head and really makes them take notice. We also looked at this lie. The church only wants your money. Because we tend to make illogical jumps in our lives, and if anyone talks about tithing, giving, or something like that at church, people instantly will jump to a conclusion that's all church is interested in. And Satan wants for people to believe that, because if you will be skeptical about ministry and fail to give to ministry, that hinders all that God would like to do through the local church. Last week, we focused on one that's really, really prevalent in our society. Just... Follow your heart. You ever heard that one? Sounds good. Problem is this. The Bible says our hearts are deceitful and sick. And that we can't even know our own hearts. So we can't afford to follow our hearts at all. Today, our last lie that we're going to deal with in this series is this. My faith is a private issue. My faith is a private issue. Now, I'm going to deal with it in about three different realms and really just try to take the Word of God and prove how people use this approach is completely wrong. Now, if some of you, if you've ever tried to tell someone about Jesus many times, you've probably had someone to say something like this. I'm sorry, but I don't talk about politics and religion. You ever heard that one? Now, I'll be honest with you, that one makes me sick, because I don't know why we want to mix Jesus and politics. You know, I don't even like using that terminology in the same sentence, you know? But people will say something like that thinking, I'm erecting a wall, a barrier. And if I just tell you, my faith is a private issue and I don't talk about things like politics and I don't talk about religion, then they kindly think you'll just go on off and leave them alone. But it is a lie that our faith is a private issue. And what I want us to do this morning is just focus, like I said a moment ago, in in three areas or three categories as to how people use a statement like this, my faith is a private issue, and then disprove it with the Word of God. That's what our focus is going to be about in the message. The first way people use this mentality, my faith is a private issue, is like this. People use it from the standpoint of saying, my faith is a private issue when it comes to affecting others. In other words, someone will buy into the mentality, to the idea that what I do as an individual is really between God and me, and it's not going to hurt or affect anybody else. I mean, parents can kind of sometimes buy into notions like that and and delude themselves into believing, well, for instance, my substance abuse. My, my alcoholism, my, my drug abuse, that's just kind of between me and God, and it might hurt me, but it's not going to hurt my kids. You keep believing that. That comes from a son of an alcoholic father. Or, sometimes parents will just kind of frivolously divorce over kind of no reason at all, and, and they'll just tell themselves, oh, our kids will be okay, they won't be affected by this, and, you know, it, it's fine. God wants us to be happy with this divorce, and it won't bother Our kids at all. Keep believing that. Or sometimes we as church members may take this mentality and think, you know what, the faith choices that I make, my obedience or disobedience to Christ, that's just kind of between God and me, and it won't affect anybody else. It won't bother anyone that I work with or any of my family or or the church at all. It won't affect anyone. It's just me. My faith's a private issue. But you see, that's not really true. And let me give you a reason why. Plenty of examples from the Scripture we could use. But we're going to be in Joshua chapter 7 just for a moment. And I'll have the verses on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, that would be great too. In Joshua chapter 7, here's what we're going to find. There's a group of people that were really, really having a lot of success. I mean, God had them on a victory track. They, They were just winning one battle after the other. And then because of a choice of a man by the name of Achan, the nation of Israel, all of a sudden hits a wall. All of a sudden they experience some defeat. And it all happens, as we'll see in the stories as we go through it, because a guy by the name of Achan decided that he was going to disobey God. And just maybe Achan had this idea or mentality, it's just me. It's just my private choice between me and God. And it's not really going to affect anybody else. Now to give you some background on what's taking place up to this point. God sent Moses into Egypt to lead the children of Israel out. And they are experiencing victory after victory after victory. Following Moses and then Moses dies. Joshua is now in charge. And they're experiencing victories with Joshua. Matter of fact, in chapter 6 of Joshua, there's a story about a city by the name of Jericho. And Jericho was this huge wall city. And they were kind of concerned, maybe, about how they're going to defeat that city. And God said, Here's how it's going to happen. I want you to go and march around the city when I tell you to, the number of times I tell you to. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to be completely quiet until I tell you that you have marched around that last time, that seventh time on that particular day. And then I want you to shout out loud, and when you do, the walls are going to fall in. And that's what happened. Man, you talk about a victory. All they did was march around to start with. They shouted out, and the walls fall down. But there's a little bit more to the story. God told Joshua to tell the army and, you know, all the children of Israel that when they go in and defeat this city, it's different than any other battles they've been in because everything in that city, anything that might would have been normally a spoil of war, is going to be dedicated to God. All of it, everything inside the city was supposed to be God's. And no one could take any of it. So so to illustrate that, it would be like you're a soldier in the army, and you're walking down the streets of this city that you've really whipped already, and there's a huge brick of gold there. Sorry, you can't touch it. It's not yours. God said it's dedicated to Him. But this guy by the name of Achan... Must have kind of thought, well, it's just between me and God. It's just a private issue. It's not going to hurt anybody else. I really like the way this robe looks. I like the way this silver looks. Man, that's a nice wedge of gold. I'm going to take it. The problem is, it wasn't a private issue, and it did affect a lot of other people. Look look at this story. Look at these verses. We'll read through some of the story. Maybe not all of it, but a lot of it. The Bible says, but the Israelites acting unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. That's everything I talked about this in the city. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zareth, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which was near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region So the men went up and spotted Ai. That's going to be their next place of battle. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand. Just send two or three thousand men to take it. Don't weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed. They were defeated by the men of Ai. Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. I want you to notice some things from that, then we'll read some other passages of Scripture. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. One man, in his faith decision, decided to disobey God. One man, by the name of Achan, made a personal faith decision that he was not going to listen to what God had said. He saw this garment, he saw some silver, he saw a nice wedge of gold there, and he decided that he was going to keep it. He decided to disobey God. Second thing I want you to see from this story is this. This one man's faith, Achan, the one man's faith, was not a private issue because it affected many other people. Did you see it in the story? 3,000 men were defeated and and chased away in this battle. They had been winning victory after victory because God had been on their side. Now because of the disobedience of this one individual, 3,000 men are defeated and routed. Did you notice that 36 men lost their lives? 36 people died because of this one wrong choice and decision of a guy by the name of Achan. How can we delude ourselves into believing my faith is a private issue and what I decide to do, whether I obey God or not, not is really going to affect anyone else, won't hurt my family, won't hurt anyone else around me in this day and time, won't hurt the church, won't hurt my nation. I'm just one person, and if I decide to disobey God, it won't really hurt anyone. And yet, 36 men lost their lives. Contemporize that. Bring it up to you for a minute. How would you feel? How would I feel if because I disobeyed God, 36 people died? And that's exactly what happened in this story. It's one individual making one choice himself, but it was a faith issue, a faith choice that he made, and it affects plenty of other people way more than just himself. And guys, the truth of the matter is that's still true today. You and I can make a choice that can affect our kids, that can affect our community, that can affect this church and the reputation of this church, that might even affect our nation. Because we make a wrong choice before God. Third thing I want you to see is this. This man's faith, one man's faith, became a public issue. It wasn't private at all. Read on in the story, verse 6 through 9. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of Jordan. See, he's second guessing now the very leadership of God because of the disobedience of one person. Why did they go across Jordan? Because God told them to. But now he's starting to say, We'd been better off to stay on the other side. Look at the rest of these verses. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? See, here's the deal that's taking place. Up until this time people in that region had been hearing about Israel, and they'd been hearing about what God had been doing for them, and they were shaking in their boots. Back up to the story of Jericho for a moment. When the spies went in and talked to Rahab, that's what Rahab said. Rahab said, we're scared to death because of you. We've heard how the water dried up for you. We've heard about the victories that God has given you. We're shaking in our boots. We are scared to death because of the reputation of God's people and and their God and what He's doing and to the people in this area They were scared Now a new word is going to get out Now the reputation of the children of Israel Is going to be different Because they've been beat And the word of that is going to get out And Joshua is afraid now That's going to encourage the enemy And the enemy is just going to come wipe us out Because they've heard that we can be beat it didn't stay a private matter. It went public. Other people know about it. And, guys, surely you figure that out because all it takes is for a Christian or someone in the ministry or whatever to fall on their face. Guess what? The word gets out real fast, a whole lot faster than if something good's taking place. And if we're not careful by our own choices in life as believers, you might delude yourself into thinking, my face is a private issue. What I do won't really affect someone else. But it will, and it did. Just talk to the nation of Israel. It affected their reputation. So much so that Joshua was willing to throw his hands and give up. Why in the world did we even come over here? Why didn't we just stay on the other side? Also in this story you see this. This one man's faith was not a private issue at all because God viewed Israel as a group. Look at these verses, verse 10 through 13. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. He's there mourning, and God tells Joshua to stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Notice what God says here. He does not say, Achan is sinned. Do you see that? That's not what He said. God says, Israel has sinned. See, God many times, instead of just viewing you and I as an individual, views us as a group. Achan is the one that made the choice, but God looked at the whole group like it was messed up. God looked at the whole nation of Israel, and He didn't say, Now, 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 you know, Joshua, you need to go and you need to get Achan. That is what happens in just a moment. But God's philosophy is this. God looks at the nation as a whole, and He doesn't say, Achan messed up. He said, Israel messed up. Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things... They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. He's not saying Achan lied, Achan stole. He's saying they have, looking at them as a group. It goes on and says this. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They've turned their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them. Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. One person did it. Achan is the one that violated God's command, God's rule. But it affected everybody. We need to learn a huge lesson from that. You and I cannot lie to ourselves or allow the devil to lie to us and say, now listen, your face a private issue and what you choose and decide to do, whether you obey God or not, won't hurt anybody but you. It's not going to hurt anybody else because it will. It affected a whole nation. It even affected Achan's own family. Look at the next truth to glean out of this story. This one man's faith was not a private issue at all because it affected his family. Look at verse 20 through 26. Achan replied, it's true. He repents. He said, yeah, you're right, I did this. I sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him after they had stoned the rest, talking about his family. They burned them over Achan. They heaped up a large pile of rocks like a memorial to warn people, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Achor means a place of trouble. A place of trouble, a valley of trouble. But now many times our mentality is, but my face is a private issue. What I decide to do is not going to affect anyone else. It won't hurt my family. Ask Achan that. Ask Achan's family. Achan's name itself means to to trouble. The root word means to disturb or to afflict. Now, I can hear people's minds probably clicking right now. Yeah, but that was the end. And you know, just because I disobey God, they're not going to bring me out and stone me to death. They're not going to bring my family out and stone me to death and burn me or anything like that. Yeah, you know, that's true. But the reality of it is this. Because of my choices and your choices, we can affect our family in much worse ways than causing them to be stoned. There's a lot worse in life than just dying. Because of our examples and our choices If we're not careful We can cause our families to go through Years and years and years And years of pain And yet our mentality is this But my face a private issue What I decide to do Won't affect anybody else It's not going to hurt anybody else It's just me We need to learn a lesson from Aiken Second category Second realm Of how people practice this type of mentality. Not only will people say my faith is a private issue when it comes to affecting others. People regrettably even have this mentality. My faith is a private issue when it comes to telling others. I mean amazingly some Christians will somehow believe that it's okay just to keep your mouth shut and not tell anybody else about Jesus. It's okay to have the mentality, well, I don't really talk about those things. I don't talk about politics and I don't talk about religion. So, you know, since that's my philosophy in life, then I'm not going to tell other people about Jesus. I'm not going to go to work and tell my friends. I'm not going to tell my family. I'm just going to be quiet and keep my faith to myself. See, the problem with that is that flies in the face of all the Bible says about Christianity. That flies in the face of what the gospel says itself. That we... Keep our mouth shut about Jesus. We're told exactly the opposite. It flies in the faith of what Jesus commands us to do. It flies in the faith of the example set by the Apostle Paul and many others. Let me just bring up some verses kind of to prove that. And then we'll jump through this and get to our last point in, in just a few minutes. My faith is a private issue when it comes to telling others is a lie because of these verses. Look at this next passage. We call this one the great... uh, No, we don't call it that anymore, do we? it's, It's a good suggestion now. Is that what we call it, the good suggestion? Now, it's really the Great Commission, but we act like it's just a suggestion that God has made. Jesus came to them and He said this. He came to His disciples. That's who we're supposed to be today. And He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, if he has all authority, that kindly tells me that what he's about to say we're supposed to listen to. We're actually supposed to believe it. We're actually supposed to apply it in our lives. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Can I ask you a question? How do we do that if we don't tell somebody? How in the world can I make a disciple if I don't tell someone? How can can I tell, you know, how do we baptize someone if we don't tell them about baptism and the reason for baptism? How do we teach them to obey the things that Jesus tells us if we don't tell somebody something? See, we we've got a lot going on in church culture today that kind of follows this mentality. Well. I'm going to live out my testimony. I'm going to live my faith instead of just tell others about my faith. I've got news for you, okay? Not you, not me, not any of us, not Billy Graham or anyone else can live such a perfect holy life that people are going to fall down and get saved when we walk by them. We ought to live the best that we can. We ought to be following Him. We ought to be setting the example and living as godly as we can. But guys, in with it, that just kind of earns us the right to tell them. It earns us some spiritual clout to where we can tell them about Jesus because they see Jesus in our lives. Nowhere does the Bible say, just live out your faith and never tell anyone. The Bible clearly tells us here in other places, we are to tell people about Jesus. We're to tell people about our faith. Nowhere does it say, it's okay to tell yourself, my faith is a private issue and I just don't tell others. We're commanded here by Jesus to tell others. Now, I can, you know, I can imagine minds clicking away because this happens all the time in, in passages like this. Well, but you don't understand, Pastor. I'm not loud like you are. I'm kind of shy and quiet and, and everything. And, and I don't know a lot uh, about telling people about Jesus. Well, let me tell you a couple things about that. Number one, if you really think you can't tell anybody how to receive Christ as your Savior, if you'll come and tell us, we will do our best to try and train you how to do it. That's number one. Number two is this. If you receive Christ as your Savior, you ought to know enough about how you got saved to tell somebody else about it. And number three, before you and I wimp out and start saying, I just can't do it. I just can't tell other people about Jesus. I just don't have the ability. I want to remind you of something. Jesus said he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he closed out this passage by saying, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So if Jesus tells us to make disciples, we can make disciples. If Jesus tells us to go to all nations, we can go to all nations. If Jesus tells us to baptize people, we can baptize people. If Jesus tells us to teach people what He's taught us, what He says to us, we can do that because He's in charge, He has all power, and He's with us to help us do exactly what He just told us to do. So for us to say, well, my face of a private issue, I'm just going to keep it to myself, goes against what the Bible teaches. Look at this next passage. <clears throat> Peter says this, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Then notice what he says. Always be prepared. He doesn't say every now and then. He doesn't say when you feel like it. He says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. There it is. You're living it out in your life enough to where people ask you, why do you have faith in Jesus? Why do you have hope that you're going to heaven? Why is your life different than mine? And when they come up and ask you why you have that type of hope... Peter says we are always to be prepared to tell somebody. We're to always be ready. See, our problem is this. Our problem is really the first part of the verse. It says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. That means this. My heart and your heart, instead of it being about what we want, instead of me trying to sit over here off to the side and say, well, you know, I, I... my face a private issue. I don't tell anybody about Jesus. Instead of it being about my heart, it's supposed to be about His heart. And instead of me putting myself on the throne and allowing Satan to whisper in my ear, Oh, keep your faith private. He'd love for you to do that. By the way, he'd love for you to do that. This is probably the biggest of all the lies because if he can get you to shut your mouth about Jesus, if he can get me to shut my mouth about Jesus, if he can get the church to zip its lip about Jesus, then he's pretty much won the battle that he wants to win. This is probably the biggest lie of all of them that we've dealt with. See, here's the issue. What we have to do, what we are supposed to do as believers is set our hearts apart To Jesus. Instead of me being on the throne of my heart, Jesus is supposed to be on the throne of my heart. Instead of me acting like I'm the boss, since Jesus died for me and He bought me with His blood on the cross, I'm supposed to say He's the boss, He's the CEO, He's the manager of my life, He's the one that I'm supposed to listen to, and He told me to tell others, so I'm going to tell others and quit trying to use this mentality of, my faith's a private issue, I'm not going to tell others. See, our problem is the first part of the verse. If we would put Him on our heart, on the throne of our heart as we should, if we would set our hearts apart to Him, then with that we would be speaking about Jesus to other people. Look at the next verse. The early church, this was their practice. And I think God put the early church in the Bible in things that they did to set examples for us. So in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, the Bible says day after day, In the temple courts. That's kind of, you know, the church of that time. So for us, it would be like day after day, here at church, we talk about Jesus. But it said, and from house to house. Look what it says. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. That's the gospel that Jesus is the Christ. How can we adopt the mentality today as a church? My face is a private issue. I won't tell anyone else when we're told clearly here that the early church day after day kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on telling everybody that Jesus is the Christ. They were telling the good news. They were presenting the gospel. Now some of you might be thinking, well, pastor, you're really harping on that. Why do you think we're not doing that? You know why I think you're not doing that like you should and I'm not doing it like I should and other churches aren't doing it like they should because we could go probably in all of our churches today all across this county and you know what we'd find? We'd find some empty seats. Now we don't have a lot of empty seats today but we do have empty seats and if every believer was doing what God called them to do if we were all fulfilling the great commission if we took it to be a commission and not a suggestion you know what I think would happen? I don't think we'd have room to see people. I think we'd have to knock walls out. I think we'd have to start additional services or something if everyone were fulfilling the Great Commission and telling people about their faith instead of acting like, oh, it's private. I'm going to keep it to myself. Look at Paul's example. Paul's approach was not to keep his faith private at all. Look at about three verses here dealing with him or three passages. Here in Acts, It says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. You see, here's the deal. Paul said it's not about my life, it's about his life. It's not about me living my life the way I want to. It's about me serving Jesus. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What was the task? Here it is the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, my life's not about me. My life is to be about telling others about Jesus. And when I die, I will consider my race to have been run and that I have lived a successful life if I have told people about Jesus as I should. In other words, Paul is saying at the end of his life, he would evaluate his life and his life was worth the living based upon having won people to Jesus. Now, this might make you uncomfortable, but can I stop and ask you something? If you were to evaluate your life right now, have you ever led anybody to Jesus Christ? And if not, just maybe you have missed the focus and the goal of what your life is supposed to be about as a Christian. If you have never, ever led anybody to Jesus. Because Paul said, that's what it's about for me. Look at the next passage of Scripture here that Paul wrote. He said, pray also for me that whenever, he wrote to these uh, believers in Ephesus, and he said, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, in other words, when I open my mouth, here's what ought to come out. Pray for me that when I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. He didn't say, pray for me that I can keep my faith private. He said, pray for me that I will fearlessly make known the, the mystery of the gospel. Notice this, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Where had it got Paul serving Jesus and telling other people about Jesus? It got him in prison. It got him in chains. And he's there in chains praying that he would tell people more and more about Jesus, even though it already got him in trouble. You know what most of us would do? Oh, God, it got me in trouble. I'm here in chains. I'm in prison now because I told people about Jesus. I better shut up. Pray for me that I'll shut up and not tell anybody. It got me in trouble. Paul did exactly the opposite. He said, yes, I'm in trouble for sharing the gospel. Pray for me. I keep sharing it without any fear. Pray for me that I continue to tell others. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. One last example from Paul. Look what he tells Timothy in Second Timothy. To set this up a little bit, you need to understand, Paul is writing to Timothy who is a young ministry student of his, more or less, a young pastor. And he's writing in First and Second Timothy to give Timothy advice. About how to pastor or how to serve Jesus. Here's what he tells Timothy. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But, look at this. (laughs) But join with me in suffering for the gospel. I really think our seminaries ought to start offering that as a class. Our seminaries ought to have classes that say, Suffering for the Gospel 101, Suffering for the Gospel 201, Suffering for the Gospel 301, Suffering for the Gospel 401. And and just maybe if if that were to be the case, some, some mama called, daddy called, or church called, Pastors and preachers wouldn't be out there doing it because God never called them to do it to start with. And if they understood up front, it might cost them something. Maybe they wouldn't volunteer. He writes to Timothy, encouraging him in the ministry. And Paul says, man, has got me in trouble. Come on, get in trouble with me. He said, I'm encouraging you. To join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Why would he tell him something like that? Why in the world would Timothy buy into it? Here's why. Look what else he says. Who has saved us? Why should we be willing to tell others about Jesus? Why should you and I be willing to suffer for the gospel? Because Jesus died on the cross for us. Because Jesus suffered for us. Because he shed his blood for us. And we ought to be willing to tell others about him. And he called us to a holy life. Not because of anything that we've done, we can't save ourselves. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. But he saved us for this reason, because of his own purpose and his own grace. Can I tell you something? God still has a purpose. He still wants people to come to Jesus. He still has enough grace to go around. That's why he wants us to tell other people about him. And yet all too often, we'll adopt the mentality... My faith's a private issue, and what I decide to do in my life, whether I obey or disobey God, then that, it's not going to affect anybody else. And since my faith, what I believe, and the fact that I've trusted in Christ as my Savior is a, is a private issue, then I, I'm not going to tell others. I don't have to tell others. Oh, the Bible says that you do. See, I'm afraid a lot of people take the mentality, well, hey, you're the preacher, you're supposed to tell everybody. Show me that in the Bible. We're supposed to be the pastors and the staff and the deacons. They're the ones supposed to tell everybody, show me that in the Bible. You know what I find in the Bible? I'm supposed to equip you to the work of the ministry. That means I'm supposed to do it as an example. I'm supposed to be doing it myself, but that means you're supposed to do it too. We all have an obligation to tell others about Jesus. The last category is this. The last category where people try and use this type of approach in life, they'll say my faith is a private issue when it comes to myself. And here's what I mean by that. You trusted in Christ as your Savior, but you're a private believer or follower of Jesus and you don't ever tell anybody about it, and you've never walked to the front of the church, and you've never said, I believe in Jesus, Jesus saved me, I trust him, I quit trusting in myself and my own goodness, I trust in what he did on the cross for me, period. But you've never done that. You've done it in your heart some point in time. Maybe you're sitting at home on television and, and listening to you know Billy Graham or someone else, and right there you pray, but you've never, ever made it public, and you're keeping it private. Maybe you're like a closet Christian. Can I give you some shocking news? Evidently it's okay in our day and time for everything to come out of the closet. Isn't it strange that it's cool in our culture for everything to be out of the closet except Christianity and they want us to keep our mouths shut? God doesn't call you To be a closet Christian. God doesn't want you to be a secret agent for Jesus. He he doesn't call you to be some covert believer, covert Christian. Where you're just all the time running it behind the scenes and no one ever knows. You might have believed in Jesus, but you're keeping it to yourself. You've never confessed Jesus publicly. you failed or maybe you've just refused to obey Jesus and be Baptized. Because you're kindly buying into this. My faith, it's my faith. It's about me. It's a private issue. So why do I have to be public about it? Why do I have to come forward and own it before other people? Well, number one, you should not ever be ashamed of your faith. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Did you see that? Instead of keeping your faith, Private, you're supposed to be living your faith. If you're a righteous person from trusting Christ as your Savior, you're supposed to live it out in your life and not be ashamed of it. Well, say, how can I do that? Give me some tangible way that I can do that. I will. Next week, we start a brand new series that's going to last for seven Sundays. Every month, guys, every time we start a new series, a week or two in advance. We print off these invite cards. Sometimes I'll find them where they've just been left laying, they fell out, and you don't even know it's falling out, it's just laying on the carpet and things like that. Can I give you a really radical idea? If you want to find some simple, tangible way not to be ashamed of your faith, we print this off not for you to take and put in your Bible, not to put on the refrigerator, so you'll know what our series is about. We print this off as an invite card for you to hand to somebody else and invite them to come that's a real simple non-threatening thing that you can do to not be ashamed of your faith not only should you avoid being ashamed of your faith you need to be identified with your faith And we've already seen this passage of Scripture that I joked around and and called the Good Suggestion. It's really the Great Commission, and Jesus commands something in it. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means for you, if you've received Christ as your Savior, and yet you have never, ever been scripturally baptized, that means that you're disobeying Jesus. Jesus says here that He wants people... To be baptized. And you may be wondering why. Baptism doesn't save me. No, baptism doesn't save you. And and some people say, well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. He went to heaven. Yeah, he was nailed to a cross. If I give you a choice be baptized, be nailed to a cross, which one do you want? He couldn't be baptized. But we are commanded in the Bible, once we receive Christ as our Savior, that we are to be baptized. And here's why. It gives a public testimony. It is you and I identifying with Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. He died and was buried. But thank God He took His life back up. Whenever you're baptized as a believer, it's a picture of the old you, the old land parsons being buried, and a new person that's alive with Jesus in their heart. Put your name there. If you're a Christian and you've been baptized, here's what you were saying. The old person's gone. There's a new person alive with Jesus inside. That's why to be baptized. And you can come up with all the rationalized reasons in your mind that you want to. But it boils down to it being an obedience issue and a love issue. Look at the next verse. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You see that? It's a love and obedience issue. Jesus died on the cross for you, took his life back up so you can have everlasting life. He tells you that He wants you to be baptized. If you love Him, He says you will obey what I command. If you say, no, I'm not going to be baptized, I don't care what you say, Jesus, that doesn't sound like to me you've made Him the Lord of your life. That sounds like you're talking out both sides of your mouth. That sounds like you're wanting to say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to do something Jesus tells me to do. He says, if we love Him, we will obey what He commands. And guys, part of what He commands is this, to be baptized. And, I, and I'm not trying to be harsh with anyone. or I'm just trying to be truthful with you today, folks. And, and if you know Christ as your Savior and you have never been scripturally baptized, you are disobeying Jesus. And He says that if you love me, you will keep my commands. One more passage, and we're about done. Jesus also said this, whoever acknowledges me before men, that doesn't sound like a private faith to me, that doesn't sound like someone saying my faith is a private issue. He said, whoever acknowledges me before men, whoever goes public with their faith, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Man, that's sweet, isn't it? Man, that's great what Jesus said. But look what else he says. that whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Another way to look at that is this. You can either be public about your faith here or Jesus will make it a public issue there. You can either publicly own the fact that you know Christ. Publicly acknowledge Him before men. Publicly be willing to do something like be baptized. You can, you can acknowledge Him here before men, or Jesus will make it an issue over there, a public issue over there in a the day of judgment, when He says, you didn't do it. So now I'm telling everybody, you didn't do it. That's another way to look at that verse. My faith is a private issue. One last reason why your faith is not a private issue, and that's simply this. You need to have a growing faith. You need to have a growing faith. I'm not going to read verses to go with this. There's plenty of verses you can read. Some of them I've already read apply to this truth. In just a few moments, you can go out in the lobby and sign up for a small group. We call them home teams here at Day 3 Church. It's where you commit to be part of a small group Bible study. And you see, you need that to have a growing faith. We don't get to encourage each other enough in this setting. We're too big. I mean, some of you, I don't even know your names, and you don't know each other's names, just the size that we are now. And that's why you need to be in a small group to where you can be encouraged, where you can help each other grow in your faith. And some of you have never tried that. You've never done it yet. And I don't know if you think you don't need to do it because you've arrived. Can I tell you something? I'm the pastor of this church. I've been in the ministry for 27 years. I severely need to be in a small group. And I'm in one every time we have one. Because I need it. That's why you don't need to be private about your faith. You need other people around you growing together. And in just a few minutes, you can go out there and sign up to be part of a small group. My faith is a private issue. That's the devil's lie. That's the one he wants us to believe. Probably the biggest lie he could give you, like I said, because if he can get us thinking our faith is a private issue and just shut up about it, he has really won the game. Some of you this morning need to come up and ask God to forgive you because you know you've been setting the wrong example for your kids. You know you've been making wrong choices. And maybe you've tried to lie to yourself and cause yourself to believe that your own actions, your own faith choices won't affect anybody else. But it does. Ask Aiken and ask his family. It does. Some of you, probably a lot of you, because... It's easy for us to fall into this trap. It's easy for me to fall into this trap because we are so stinking busy. Is part of the issue, and we get so sidetracked. But a lot of us today probably need to come up and kneel and pray as the band plays in just a moment and say, God, forgive me that I've acted like my faith is a private issue and I've not been telling other people because God tells us where to tell others. And there may be some of you here who've already received Christ as your Savior, but you know what? You've never stepped up anywhere in front of a group of people and said, I've believed in Jesus. You've never ever made it public. You've been living it yourself. And, and kind of keeping it quiet and not telling anybody else. And you need just to publicly own your faith before this group of people. You've never done it. And you need to step up here and say, I have believed in Jesus. For some of you, you've believed in Jesus maybe a long time ago. And you keep putting off this right here. And I don't know why. Because it's, I, I, I just got wet, okay? I, 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 I don't know. We're not going to hold you under. I'm not going to read the 119th Psalm. You know, while you're under the water or... Anything like that. But if you've received Christ as your Savior and you've never never followed Jesus in baptism, once again, I'm not trying to make anybody feel uncomfortable. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. See, See, I know there's some people here that I really love that's never done this yet. And I know you've believed in Jesus and everything, but this this is just a step of obedience and a step of love for you. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandment. So I'm just telling you again, if you've received Christ and you've never been baptized, you're being disobedient to Jesus. Way to make it right is just to come up here. Well, I didn't plan on it today. That's fine. We've got towels. It's warm outside. We'll send you home, like I said before, dripping wet. Now, you might think I'm fooling. Now, we've had people do that. I've never had it happen until here, but we've had people I did not anticipate being baptized who came up and we baptized them, and they went home dripping wet, but they went home obedient. So if you know Christ is your Savior and you've never taken care of this, you know, God tells you to do it, it's time to do it. God tells you to do it, it's time to do it. Say, well, I've not heard him. Yeah, you have. I read it to you. It's in the Bible. He tells you you're supposed to do it. So some of you need to come up and take care of this today before you leave. And quit acting like your faith is a private issue. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, Forgive us when we have acted like our faith is a private issue. Forgive us, God, when we've made choices. God, forgive me when I've made choices that's affected my family in the wrong way. God, forgive me if any time I set wrong examples before my kids. God, help us this morning to, to be honest before you and understand that our choices and our actions are not private issues it affects other people people that we love god forgive us this morning for not sharing the gospel as we should and god i pray that right now this morning you will put a burden upon everyone that's here father especially upon everyone that's a member of day three church that you will so burden us to share our faith that we can't keep it quiet Father, if there's someone here that knows Christ but they've never made it public, help them to do that. If there's someone here that you are calling right now to follow you in baptism, as you do in your word, God, just help them to kick pride aside, and God, help them just to be obedient. And in just a few minutes, help them to come and and, and just give a beautiful picture of what you've done in their life. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Daryl will be here at the front, our associate pastor. I'll be here at the front. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never made that step, we would love to tell you about Jesus. We have other people that we can call up that will spend some time with you and help you understand what it means to trust Christ as your Savior. So if you've never done that, don't leave today. Don't open up a wall right now and say, oh, that's private stuff. No, it's not. It's going to be very public one day. So why not own Jesus publicly here if you never have? If you know Him, you've never made it public, please come and, and just stand here and make it public. If you know Him and you've never been baptized, why not come and be baptized? You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at com.